0: Welcome back to another episode of the Simon and Coffee Couple. My name's Allison. And my name's Mike. Hello,
1: Mike. Hey, I was wondering if that's kind of too high-pitched. Sometimes I can be like, my name's Mike.
0: Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess you always sound whiny to my ears. Yeah.
1: So. Yeah. Which is you, you normal part for the course. I would I'm say. not a
0: good judge for that.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to sound more manly and bassy. Just guess. start
0: smoking yeah. and then we'll be good.
1: That's a good idea. I always wanted to smoke a pipe.
0: A pipe. Yes. My with uncle, a smoking jacket.
1: Yeah. Well, I don't need the jacket. I'd rather probably do it naked because I think that'd be fun. Please. But no kids do, around. Do
0: not do that naked.
1: I mean, it just seems like the right thing. You just pack your pipe and then sit back and enjoy. Why your naked? Um, it's natural. You know, it's uh, the birthday suit.
0: Yeah, no. No? Being naked's not natural to me.
1: Yeah. I mean... I, I much
0: prefer clothes.
1: I don't like it either. Um, But, yeah. I like we, when uh, you don't have them on. That's fine.
0: We live in, like, the nudist capital of the United States, right?
1: Oh, we do. Yeah. I guess we've never really told people that.
0: Yeah. The town where we are. Um, I so- guess it's pretty easy
1: to find us. But anyways, yeah. Lando Lakes, Florida. Yeah, nudist capital of the world. There's like three, Not you can't call them nudist colonies. They're called what? I like don't know. Like nudist resorts.
0: Resorts, I guess, but people live there. They're neighborhoods. Yeah,
1: and if you've ever seen any of those shows where they do the nudist people, like it's probably here in our town.
0: Yeah, they did like a house hunters, but nude. Yeah. And the things people talked about were so interesting. Like they were touring the house and they're like, no, the stove's too low because it'll burn my junk. It's like... <laughs> Ew, you're cooking with your pubes flying around? Well, they probably should. No thanks. And
1: then they worry about the... Bacon splatter. Yeah,
0: that's why he didn't want his junk exposed to the hot grease.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's
0: like, there's so many things wrong with this conversation. And I, then they
1: have to put down a towel anytime they sit on like a bar stool.
0: Yeah, because when we were in Key West, we went up to one of the bar, like the top bar that's like Garden, cloth- clothing optional. The
1: Garden of Eden.
0: Yeah, I'm just like, why? Why do you want to be naked? Uh,
1: did you get naked? I think you did.
0: Hell no, I didn't. Oh, I took my top off.
1: Yeah, you, you had the girls flopping out there. Yeah,
0: it was a bet. Yeah. So I would I ever have taken my body? off hell no i mean it's kind of crazy that i even took my top off
1: well that's what happens you drink in key west and one thing leads to another somebody makes um, it bad
0: i was in my 20s back then i didn't have kids yet i was wild and free (laughs) actually i've never really been wild who am i kidding
1: yeah you've been 45 years old from birth exactly and uh yeah so So uh,
0: what's going on with
1: you there fella well i'm excited we've got the chicago white Sox in town here in tampa so uh, uh cameron and i our son we went to the baseball game last night and had a great time um sat in the outfield um it's it's not cheap to go to baseball games,
0: it's not, and especially when you come to with the parking, the tickets, the food.
1: I tried to do it as cheap as possible. I got like seven dollars parking, which is much better than the twenty or thirty that they wanted,
0: yeah, and then we're going back today,
1: yeah. and uh, it was a lot of fun. So we're looking forward to seeing some baseball and hanging out there um besides that um man just another crazy work week uh we had memorial day earlier but it felt like a six or seven day week instead of like a four day week
0: yeah that's so funny that you say that because my coworker and i were like i think we've aged like 20 years in the past few weeks when we've been shorthanded and we were like we only worked three days this past week and it felt like an eternity yeah crazy, crazy.
1: and every customer i talked to said the same thing so yeah, different things going on there. Um, But uh, yeah, just looking forward to having some public subs at the baseball game tonight. Pub subs. Yeah. If you
0: live in the area that has a Publix, uh, their subs are fantastic.
1: Yeah, they're really good. I think it's all, Publix is only in the southeast.
0: Yeah, I believe so, yeah. And
1: they're only, they're actually a pretty big grocery chain, I think number three or four.
0: And if you ever do try one, try the um, chicken tender one. It's like sinfully delicious. Yeah. I mean, you're eating bread with fried chicken strips.
1: Throw the diet out the window.
0: Yeah, forget it. Just throw it out there. And um, I would suggest putting on some like buffalo sauce. And I personally like blue cheese dressing, but I think they would mostly put ranch on
1: there. Oh yeah, they'll put whatever you want. And what's awesome about it, I mean, they have the whole deli counter. So if there's like one particular belly meat that you like they'll go ahead and cut it for you fresh. yeah
0: it's delicious oh it's just
1: wonderful I can't so wait. we're gonna
0: have a couple watermelon brewskis yep. and i've got myself a, subs. a nice
1: full cup of coffee here Me i uh, too. i was uh, you know it's it's filled to the brim with a french roast and i was so tired this morning because i didn't fall asleep <laughs> till like two last night that i started brewing it from the keurig Without a cup underneath
0: Yeah how'd that work out for you
1: Um, At first it was bad Then I put the cup under And, and it then turned it was out good. Much better Very yeah. good Yeah,
0: I got up early this morning To go on the treadmill And I was just like Sucking back my coffee On the treadmill I know that sounds weird I had water too but uh, I was listening to the John Wayne Gacy tapes on of course Netflix. Because you,
1: you wanted to relax. And have
0: yeah, a nice... <laughs> you know, just watching the scumbag who killed a bunch of men and buried him under his crawlspace. And what a weirdo. Um, but man, what an attitude that asshole has. Really? Oh, yeah. He thinks he's he dead. He's dead now. My mom say. actually went to his execution. In Isn't Illinois. Right? Yeah, he's from Illinois. The Chicago suburbs where we're from. We're not from that suburb, but... Um, well, funny
1: story about your mom. You want to tell that story?
0: Oh, so apparently there were people there protesting
1: and lighting candles,
0: lighting candles in his in honor and to protest his murder, um, or his execution. And my mom, she's very like what strong-willed, yeah, she's uh, making outspoken, up her mind. yeah, yeah. Um, so she was going through and like blowing out their candles. <laughs> she's <laughs> like,
1: "F you, he's a murderer. And he's everything. a murderer." And she was almost there to celebrate the uh, the you know, him dying, which you know you say whatever you will about the death penalty, yeah. But it was pretty you,
0: everyone has their own opinions, but he is just a piece of work because obviously he said he was bisexual, but he was also like a raging homophobe. Hmm. It's like unbelievable to me. Well, what a what a hypocrite.
1: A lot of times, the biggest homophobes are homosexual. I
0: know that's just crazy.
1: Like any time you run into somebody who's just like totally afraid and against gays, it's like a lot of times. 20 years later you'll find out that they had plenty of like gay porn
0: well it's kind of like american beauty yeah that movie um but you know it's like see if we all and this is pride month let's all just love who we love and yeah. shut the hell up
1: but also who gives a shit
0: who gives a <laughs> shit as long as you're happy and you're a good person yeah be you right you do you Boo. i am
1: thank you very much thank and I will. you mike I'll and continue. i love you you do mike. you too okay i will okay good
0: so other than that i say we get going well we
1: have to start out with alice's amazon addiction. thank you very much because you don't want to talk about it and that's like
0: i don't want to talk about my addiction and
1: this one's kind of different because like we you know like you say you don't like go on amazon i always buy stuff like sometimes we have some things scheduled to be delivered and this one's one of those this
0: is a scheduled subscription i don't subscribe to anything on amazon except for this so it's funny because i get horrific cramps that's not funny um it's not at all ever since Since I was a child and granted, I got my period very young. You might say that's TMI, but it is what it is. I'm a female. I get my period. Newsflash. I get my period. I don't
1: think there's such thing as TMI on a true crime podcast.
0: So I got mine when I was like 10 years old and I've had raging cramps my whole life. It's like can be debilitating. So I'm like, there's got to be something I can take. So I started searching and it's like these ancient herbs. And I don't know if I've ever talked about it on this podcast, if I have just skip a few seconds um but it's like a it's uh donkwai and i forgot what the other one is it just flew out of my m- mind well, but I was it's was been thinking used Don for Quai. centuries i was wondering if it
1: was donkwai chaseberry chaseberry and Don Quai. those are yes. the top two things in my head
0: they're ancient herbs that have been used for female like um labor and that uh, time of the month etc
1: everybody knows donkwai
0: so anyway it's rated very well on amazon almost five stars it's supposed to help with your um emotional like you know if you've got the ups and downs in terms of your Emotions as well as cramps, if you have like the breast tenderness whole thing, it has been a game changer for me. It's called Go With The Flow. If you are a female that deals with, you know, where you're like, oh, why am I so upset? Why am I feeling this way? And you're like, oh, it's because I have PMS. Or if you get bad cramps or your boobs kill, try it.
1: And it's no joke, you actually have just terrible cramps, and we together have to deal with that. You know, I don't want you feeling bad, but sometimes you do, and I can notice right away. You know, the mood changes. And
0: well, yeah, and that's, I mean... You
1: like, get mad about something that you wouldn't normally, and it's like, oh, I wonder if that's the...
0: And I then know. I want to punch my f- husband in the throat when he's like, oh, it's you're going to be getting your period?
1: And it's right nine out of ten times, I would say. Oh, you're but so smug. That, I just want to know. I just want to know so I can give you extra leeway.
0: And then he questions me. I'm like, I'm like clockwork with your period, with my period. And he's like, I don't think you are. I'm like, I have a friggin' app on my phone. I'm the one that's getting the period, and you're arguing with me. You know,
1: me. I apologize, but... Um. How did it go this month
0: I was four days late oh. Which is exceptionally rare
1: Okay So you, you Oh
0: Oh okay. she's regular Oh I'm so so smug oh, I'm a know it all She's regular Yeah I'm like You know my body more than me Uh huh
1: I've seen more of it I can tell That's you that That's
0: true <laughs> <laughs> You know this body so well Up and
1: down sister <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's uh, going to be on our show notes. So go check it out. Go with
0: the flow. Yep,
1: or get it for your wife if you want. But, but yeah, we make a small commission on it if you go Who for knows? It. Whatever. Who
0: even knows? I anymore? think we've made
1: three cents so far. So. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah, it's going We pretty are well. going to treat ourselves to something nice. That's right.
1: That's right. So, so
0: this episode's topic is actually based on something your mom suggested to me.
1: That was awesome. And you offered me to do it. And I was like, well, I mean, you seem kind of into it right now. So yeah.
0: And I've definitely heard this story. Like when your mom mentioned it, I was like, oh, yeah. And um, it happened back in 1966 in Chicago, which, of course, we're from. Mike's parents still live in the suburbs of Chicago. So it was definitely something that really stood out to. Actually, it was nationwide that it really went out to. But, you know, especially in the suburbs of Chicago and in the city of Chicago.
1: And it has to do with nurses, right? Yes, it does. So this is something, you know. The, it kind of changed the, the way
0: that people you like viewed their security because before this people were still very lax about locking their doors. Hmm. You know, there was a change in the innocence of people. Interesting. let's get into it. So around 6am on the morning of July 14th, 1966, a woman woke early and heard the cries of what she thought was a child. As she went to investigate, she saw a woman perched on the ledge of an upstairs window screaming out, Oh my God, they're all dead. So the previous night, which was July 13th, 1966, nine student nurses living in a townhouse on the south side of Chicago would be attacked by a madman, and only one would survive.
1: Holy shit, that's not good.
0: It's not good, and it's just a crazy story. It's so scary. So in the neighborhood of South Deering, which is located on Chicago's far south side, we're Southsiders. we, that's, if you're a White Sox fan, you're from the south side of Chicago. Yeah,
1: everybody else is a Cubs fan.
0: Exactly. So there sat a townhouse that acted as a dormitory for student nurses for the South Chicago Community Hospital, and inside were nine girls living. And I take that back a little bit because I found out at the end of my research that really only eight were living there. Technically, one had recently moved out but came back to visit that night. Oh, no. Yes. So inside live 22-year-old Gloria Davey, 20-year-old Marianne Jordan. And this is the one that at the time had moved out and just came back to visit. Marianne? Marianne.
1: Marianne. Okay.
0: Yeah, Marianne. And and it's a lot of names. You know, it's nine names. You got to so, name them. Yeah, of course. And I'm going I mean, to poor, poor victims. Of course. Um, 21 year old Suzanne Ferris. 23 year old Valentina Pazian, 20 year old Patricia Matusek. 23 year old Merlita Gargula. 20 year old Pamela Wilkening. 24 year old Nina. It looks like Nina, but it's actually uh, pronounced Nina. So just to let you know, it's N-I-N-A, but it's Nina
1: Okay.
0: Um, and Nina Schmall and 23 year old Corazon or Cora Amaro.
1: And it also gives you a good idea of kind of the makeup of these people. Sounds like some Hispanic names. No, some... Filipino. Oh, Filipino. Yes. Wow. All of them are Filipino? No,
0: three. So that's what I was going to say okay. here. So um, Cora, Valentina and um, I'm sorry, I missed my place here. Cora, Valentina, and Merlita, my apologies, were exchange exchange students from the Philippines, and really they had only been there for a few months. I think they flew over in May, and at this time it's July. So they were new to coming over to the United States. Hmm. So during the first two years of this nursing program, All the nursing students were required to live in the dorms that were attached to the hospital, but in their third and final year, they were given the opportunity to move into one of the three townhomes that the hospital rented on East 100th Street. Because it was close quarters, most of the women became very close friends, sharing pranks, laughing, between studying. I found out that at this day and age, this is when nurses were wearing like skirts and nylons and all white and that stupid hat. Yeah. like It was ridiculous. It's like, you're a friggin' nurse. You're saving people's lives. What in the hell are you wearing pantyhose for?
1: Well, um, now it makes sense. They're wearing scrubs and they can like roll their yeah, shirt up. No, you know, I mean, yeah.
0: you can be in the middle of doing something and then have to start CPR on somebody. Well, yeah. those were
1: the days when like flight attendants were stewardesses and yeah. everything. Like there's that, you know.
0: Old fashioned. And
1: like barely women were barely able to have the right to vote. basically. And
0: there was never a male nurse at that time. Yeah,
1: you'd be ridiculed and laughed out.
0: So nursing stupid. nursing school during this time could be described as a cross between a convent and boot camp. There that were, actually
1: makes sense. They looked like nuns.
0: Really? They did. Yeah. And, you know, their uniforms had to be crisply starched. Their shoes had to be polished white. They would be stopped in the hallway and like, you have a scuff on your shoe. They weren't allowed to wear jewelry, makeup, nail polish. And you couldn't be married or pregnant. What the hell? Isn't that hell? insane?
1: I That's like so many rules. That's like just, like you said, it's almost like a nun. <laughs>
0: it's mind boggling. Right.
1: Like they're not part of some religion. They're no, helping they're sick people. They're healthcare
0: workers that are helping keep people alive.
1: Like did they have these same rules for doctors? I highly <laughs> doubt it.
0: I'm sure, you know, it was all men in the doctor. Oh, yeah, I can do whatever I want.
1: I mean, I get it because nurses are very respected and things. So they, you know, they might have a higher standard. But at the same time, like, let's be real yeah, here. I mean, this is going to like the same thing. Thing we're looking back and thinking how stupid this is. Like it's going to be in twenty years when people are like, "Wow, people used to not be able to work from their homes, right?" And like that's going to be the thing.
0: That's true. You know,
1: you hear about these companies like everybody's got to come back to work. It's like, no, we just proved we don't have to.
0: Do you know that Elon Musk just did that with his Tesla employees? Yeah, he sounds like a real asshole. He
1: said minimum forty hours a week. Oh, he sucks. (laughs) What an he's, ass well I, he's he's learned yeah he's he's done a lot uh, of he's things an asshole
0: <laughs> anyway um around 11 p.m that night and i'm only i don't know elon musk i'm only saying that that's a really douchebag thing to say like you have to come back to the office for a minimum of 40 hours of work i don't want to be working under you sir thank it, you it's kind
1: of an old school way so in now.
0: other words i'm never going to be employed by tesla Not well. I'm just putting it out
1: there. Yeah, well, one company down.
0: Okay, so we'll check that off my list. So around 11 p.m. that night, little did the girls know that a man who was armed with a knife and a gun would break in through a window and terrorize them. After entering through a first floor window, the man headed upstairs to where three bedrooms were. The downstairs was the kitchen and the living room. Upstairs were where the three bedrooms were located. So he approached the first door and knocked That room belonged to Cora Amaro and her roommate. Uh, I'm not entirely sure which girl was her roommate.
1: That's crazy. Can you imagine sleeping in the middle of the night and having somebody knocking on your door? And you're just like, well, you think it's your roommates. You know, like, oh, yeah, come on in. So
0: um, I, I will mention it later in the story, but Cora would respond that the... The knock sounded extremely normal. There was nothing urgent about it. There was nothing that alarmed her about it.
1: Really? So um, it's like that. I was wondering if it was like he's coming up and like... just you know.
0: Yeah. I think so it, was it was like... like
1: probably, it was probably like...
0: Yeah. It yeah. was not scary at all.
1: Like somebody in the house lives there just wants something real something. quick. Something. Exactly. Interesting.
0: So... Their bedroom door was locked. Like I said, Cora wasn't alarmed by any means. She woke up, she walked to the door, she opened it. Again, she had only been in the United States for three months at this time. When Cora opened the door, she found a tall man standing there. He was dressed in black, his skin was pockmarked with acne scars, and he pointed a gun at her he herded the two girls into the adjoining bedroom where four other students were awakened. And then the the six, the group of six were ordered into the rear bedroom.
1: And I'm sorry, did you say he broke in? Yes. He
0: went through A a, a window on the first floor. Got it. So after he woke the second set of three girls, somehow Cora, Merlita and Valentina, the three that came over from the Philippines managed to break away and hide in a closet. A short time later, Cora could hear the voice of one of the other nursing students urging them to come out. She told the three in hiding that the man wasn't there to hurt anyone and only wanted money to get to New Orleans. When the three Filipina nurses emerged from the closet, they found the American girls sitting in a circle on the floor. The man was pointing a gun at them. Cora would later say, "'The American girls told us we more or less had to trust him. Maybe if we were calm and quiet, he would be too.'" He has been talking to all of us, and he seems calm enough, and that's a good sign.
1: Well, you get so desperate. You're like, I'm going to die if I come out of this, pl- my hiding place. Or and then,
0: are you going to die if you don't cooperate? Right. So, and you always
1: hope, like, that's why it's, you see all these movies where people, like, just cooperate with the person, that, the captor, because <laughs> that's it's kind of like how it is in real life. Like, you just don't, don't want to die. die. Yeah.
0: So I always think of Oprah. She always would say, never let them take you to another location. Hmm. If you will have no chance of surviving, if you do like, they'll say like get in the car and drive. Don't do it. Stay mm-hmm. in the location where you are or your chance of survival greatly decreases. Just the
1: statistics of yes, all of them. So st- it's st- like a
0: uh, 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 statistics <laughs> easy for me to say. Yes. The statistics have shown when they take you to another location, your window of survival really closes. Interesting. So I always remember that. So initially they all believe that he would just take the money and leave so, when the man took out a knife and began to basically cut strips of bed sheets, like multiple, multiple strips.
1: Yeah, like he's looking to put it over their eyes or something. Yes.
0: They knew that something was going to be greatly wrong that night. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he's just shredding bed sheets and they're just sitting there, not sure what's going to happen.
1: Hoping for the best. Hoping
0: yeah. that he's just going to tie them up so that they can't report him. Take your friggin' money and go to New Orleans. Yeah. So he used the strips of fabric to bind their hands behind their backs. So who is this monster that unleashed this terror on these innocent young girls?
1: You wonder, man. There was what eight of them? One, two, three, four, five. Six, There's seven, eight, nine,
0: eight, nine total nine. that are involved. So like
1: if they could have just banded together, you know, and but taken you them know on. how
0: it is. They don't want to cause a exactly. ruckus because they just want to keep things calm. Here's your money. Go.
1: and he's got a knife and a gun and a gun so. and knives are almost more dangerous than guns because a gun it's really hard to put a shot on somebody but a knife but at close
0: can... range they're in a bedroom right so they're they're, no, they're in very close quarters i saw pictures from this townhouse yeah they're not very big bedrooms okay. if he's pointing a gun at you you're dead yeah so this is twenty-four-year-old Richard Speck, a seaman. I love that word, seaman.
1: This <laughs> makes me laugh.
0: Um, who was known to be hot-tempered and had a history of petty crimes, drinking, drugs, rape, and other violence that stretched back all the way to his childhood.
1: So, seaman meaning he, navy. Yeah. Okay.
0: He wasn't in the navy. Oh. It was like he just started. I think the Merchant Marines. Okay. So we'll we'll get into that. But Murchard Benjamin Speck was born in Kirkwood, Illinois, in 1941, and shortly after his birth, he moved to Monmouth, Illinois, which I had never heard of, um, and he was the seventh of eight children to parents Benjamin and Mary. Mary was very religious. She didn't allow any alcohol in the house. He and his sister, Carolyn, were much younger than the rest of their siblings, so they tended to be closer because they were the youngest ones. Uh, when Richard was only six, his father, who was very, he was very close to, died suddenly of a heart attack at age fifty three. Hmm. So three years after his father's death, his mom remarried Carl Lindbergh, who was basically the polar opposite of his own father you know uh they were very strict on not drinking well carl was basically like a raging alcoholic
1: that's weird that his mom would choose somebody who's a raging so alcoholic different right when she doesn't allow alcohol in the house
0: yeah i don't know how that came to be hmm. so carl was a traveling salesman from texas who had a criminal record that ranged from forgery to several duis Initially, Richard and his sister, Carolyn, stayed in Illinois to complete their years of school. Uh, Richard was in second grade at the time. But when they finished school, um, Richard and Carolyn moved over to Texas and they lived in rural Santo, Texas and bounced from one house to house, moving 10 different addresses in 12 years and basically mostly living in the very poor neighborhoods of the city.
1: Wow. So it's basically just renting for a year and keep on going to the next place. Yeah. That's so tough.
0: life was pretty tough. Um, two years. Any abuse or anything. So I'll I'll talk a little bit about that. Two years later, Richard's oldest brother, Robert, died in a car accident at age 23, so that was another tragedy in the family. And in the meantime, Richard was also dealing with his stepfather, Carl, who was often drunk, verbally abusive, or just absent. So I never heard that he was physically abusive, but very verbally abusive. Okay. So Richard was struggling in school. He refused to wear the glasses that he needed for reading. He had to repeat eighth grade, and this partially because he probably couldn't read what he was you know reading because of his vision issues and he wouldn't speak he was very very self-conscious at all he basically would not speak in class almost like to the point of being mute wow so he was terrified of people staring at him so this is what caused him to not want to speak and be you know put the spotlight on him so
1: he had some issues
0: and we did mention in the beginning that he had acne scars yeah so i don't know if that kind of made him very self conscious.
1: Sure, sure. But
0: when you're young and your stepfather's an alcoholic and verbally beating you down, you know, I'm sure his self confidence was in the toilets. Wonder if
1: he was like on some kind of spectrum or something like that or yeah, some po- kind of yeah, special needs.
0: Possibly, who knows? Yeah. So, um, basically, you know, like I said, he had to repeat eighth grade, and then he only made it halfway through ninth grade when he dropped out of school and never returned to school. So, in January of 1958, after he turned 16, he stopped going to school altogether, so Richard started drinking, and this is crazy, at age 12.
1: Oh, wow. I mean, that's young. When his mom was, well, I mean, he had it around probably because well, of Carl. Well,
0: Carl was a big drinker, so I'm sure alcohol was right at his fingertips at all times.
1: And that's like when your brain's developing and mm-hmm. stuff. That's uh, that's really, really bad. I mean, especially getting really drunk and just drinking a lot of stuff like at 13. Can you imagine our son, 13-year-old, drinking? <laughs> no,
0: I cannot. Like
1: getting drunk, that's like killing your brain cells when you're trying to develop into a human, like a, an adult.
0: That's got to affect your brain development, 100%. For sure.
1: No doubt about it.
0: So by the time he turned 15, he was basically getting drunk on a nearly daily basis. Hey, at real quick. 15.
1: Same with weed. Um, if you're younger and listening to this, you're 16, 17, you know... I get it. You get into alcohol, you get into weed a little bit. Just know that stuff really screws with your brain. And yeah. Like it's it's really dangerous to do a lot of those things until you're like 23, 20, 25 really is when, you know, real adulthood hits.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's not to say that your brain cells aren't important no matter what age you're at. You don't want to be filling your body with like toxic substances.
1: Well, I'm not going to say don't drink and don't smoke weed because you're probably going to anyways, but just keep it in mind. Yeah. You know?
0: And you know what's interesting? We're seeing more and more cases at the hospital where people come in with this cyclic vomit syndrome from marijuana
1: that's fascinating like
0: intractable nausea and vomiting brought on by marijuana it Like screws with your gastrointestinal system, which I
1: had no idea about. Like I'm a big advocate for you know legal marijuana. I just think it should. If if alcohol is legal, there's no reason the people that want marijuana to have it shouldn't be legal. But that's interesting because it's that's a bad side effect.
0: Yeah, and it's uncontrollable when they're smoking it. And obviously, a lot of the people that are coming in are doing it on a daily basis, and they're being hospitalized for dehydration because they cannot keep anything down. Well, hey,
1: what do I tell the kids? Too much of anything is bad. Exactly. I don't care what it is. Too much water can kill you. So so
0: Richard's going down. A very terrible path. He's no longer going to school. He's getting drunk at a very young age. His first arrest happened at the young age of 13 years old. Mm. Nothing big. He was trespassing. But regardless, this is just going in the wrong direction at 13 years old.
1: Yeah, you kind of give up on your life. You know? right. Once you get arrested a couple times, it just becomes normal.
0: You just don't care. Yeah. You're just like, whatever. And it sounds like he really did not care about himself. And you don't care what happens to you when you're in that mindset.
1: And then the cops get to know you. And then they're looking for you to do bad things. And you usually are. Yeah. So, yeah. so
0: over the next eight years, he would be arrested dozens of times for various mis- Demeanors. And just like any criminal, oftentimes it starts to spiral and escalate and get worse and worse. Right. It just becomes normal. So in 1961, when Richard would have been about 20, he met a 15-year-old named Shirley Malone at the Texas State Fair. And only three weeks later, Shirley was pregnant. Wow. And, you know, she's only 15. So the couple was married on January 19th, 1962. They moved in with his sister, Carolyn. And at this time, Richard's mom was already divorced from Carl. So she was also living there. So it was Carolyn, her husband, and then their mom. And then now, of course, him and his wife. And then they welcomed their baby girl, Robbie Lynn Speck, on July 5th, 1962. It's a full house. Yes, very full house. Though Richard wasn't there for her, her birth, because no you surprise. know, why would you be there for your daughter's <laughs> I,
1: birth? I imagine he's a piece of shit uh, father.
0: So he was busy serving a 22-day jail sentence at the time for disturbing the peace while drunk.
1: Well, we went through that. You know, anytime I'm in jail, I can't be there. Yeah, for the kids. you know,
0: you you missed out. At least you got 50 percent of our births. The right. other one, you were you know probably pissing on a wall in a gas station. <laughs> like or something. I say, you win some, you lose some. Exactly. So, having a wife and child did not calm Richard down in any way, shape, or form. He had the tattoo born to raise hell on his arm and would be arrested 41 times before the age of 24. 41?
1: 41.
0: 41 times. Wow. Before 21. So, from 13 to 24 years old, he was arrested more than 41 times.
1: Well, I mean, it's I'm sure it's a lot of petty theft and trespassing and just, you know, vandalizing and, and whatever. And being just
0: drunk and disorderly. Yep. So his probation officer would say, when Speck is drinking, he will fight or threaten anybody as long as he has a knife or a gun. When he's sober or unarmed, he couldn't face down a mouse. Wow! So he used his drunkenness and his weapons to bring himself up. Because, again, remember I said in school he wouldn't speak? Wouldn't want to wear his glasses. His self-esteem is obviously horrific.
1: Yeah. So obviously when he drinks, he becomes this like superhero, thinks he's awesome. You know, doesn't have to worry about the bad self-esteem. The self-esteem rises and he wants to prove himself. Right. He's a big, tough guy.
0: Hence the reason why he's probably drunk all the time. Yeah. So, Richard's wife, Shirley, indicated that she lived in constant fear. He would rape her at knife point and demand sex four to five times a day from her.
1: Holy shit. What a scumbag. Living
0: In, in hell. At
1: this point in the 60s or whatever, it's like, still, you know, we've got nurses that need to dress up in white cloths and everything that are treated like nuns. So, like, you know, there's not a lot of... Advocates for victims at this point, right? You know, they're like, "Oh, you're a woman, stay home. You should give sex to your husband four or five times a day." And you know? she's
0: got a young child. I'm sure she's feeling like she's stuck at this point.
1: Absolutely. So, and she was a child when she had her kid. She was, I mean, <laughs>
0: 15 years old when she got pregnant. She's a child, right. 100 million percent. Yes, yeah.
1: she is. Yeah, what a tough situation. So, in
0: 1965, Richard attacked a woman in the parking lot of her apartment building with a 17-inch carving knife. She escaped, and he was arrested and given a 16-month sentence. He was released after only six months due to an error in the system. So, <laughs> Put ridiculous. Put on the wrong
1: spot. Yeah, this guy needs a beat down. Like if he... I could see him being at a bar and being a tough guy with his knife and then the next day being at the same bar without his knife and a group of guys probably just beat the shit out of him. That's what he needed.
0: Yeah, but, but who knows know if, if that would have it. done anything. Yeah, who knows. And th- thankfully for Shirley, this was the tipping point. So fearing for her life and her child's, she took full custody of her daughter and filed for divorce. Wow. Good for you, Shirley. Absolutely. Because I'm sure that took a lot of courage. Yeah. So in March of 1966... Richard moved back from his boyhood hometown town of Monmouth, Illinois. So this is where he's relocating from Texas to Illinois.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, living his best life, he's mostly drinking and bar hopping at this point. On April 3rd, he broke into 65-year-old woman's house, blindfolded her, tied her up, raped her, ransacked her home, and stole $2.50 that she had earned that night from babysitting. An elderly
1: woman, you said?
0: 65-year-old woman. So
1: this was done in 1965 as well, yes. right? Yes, this April? is done
0: in um, April of 1966.
1: 66, Yeah, the so this same is the year. year
0: of the murders. Okay.
1: 1966 So
0: he's about 24.
1: And he broke into does he know this woman at all? No. He just did picked some random elderly woman who just babysat.
0: Babysat for $2.50. Raped her. Yep, tied her up, blindfolded her, raped her, ransacked her house and took the 250.
1: Was he drunk during this time? I'm, I'm sure, sure he
0: was basically always drunk. Yeah. It didn't specify. Took
1: 250. What a weird i mean everything sucks i can't i can't stand rapists i cannot i mean nobody can that's not like a, a blind you know well, mind conference. but it's just like the ultimate like just taking somebody's innocence you it, know and
0: it's the whole power thing it is like i have power over you and i'm gonna take something from you and that's that sacred person, and
1: then that person has to live with it yes you know like it's like worse than murder sometimes it's, it's
0: you're traumatized yeah gosh He was also being questioned for the murder of a 32-year-old bartender at a place that Richard frequented. She was found dead, actually, on your birthday, April 13th, In an empty hog house behind the bar, she had died from a blow to the abdomen that ruptured her liver. I mean, just
1: brutal. So his targets are women. Yes. Oh,
0: 100%. Because he's he's a little piece of shit. Right. He's going to overpower somebody that's probably a hell of a lot smaller than him.
1: I can't believe a guy never got a hold of this guy.
0: I know. I think he was just like... He hung around, I think, a lot of rough places. Yeah,
1: and found his victims and knew who would have no chance and who didn't have a guy attached to them.
0: So it's very likely that he killed this woman. Mm -hmm. But so on April 19th, when he was becoming... When he started to get questioned further, he basically hopped to another place.
1: So... He raped this elderly woman April third. Mm-hmm. He probably killed this.
0: Her body was found, I think, later that same day. So April thirteenth, ten days later.
1: Ten days later, he probably killed this bartender. Yes, we're
0: escalating very, very quickly here. Man,
1: this is a danger. This guy is like a danger to society. Hugely. They, so now, was he found guilty of the the elderly woman? Did they know it was him at this time? I don't
0: think at that point he was ever pinned to anything. Okay, because she didn't know him.
1: Right. Just so random.
0: yeah exactly so on april 19th now he's going from his boyhood town to the city of chicago he moved in with his sister and her husband and her brother-in-law is the one that's or his brother-in-law is the one that suggested that he joined the merchant marines as an apprentice seaman he spent a short time working on ships in the hey, great lakes we
1: haven't said this yet but his name is dick speck and he's a seaman
0: that's true huh what is Speck, though? That's his last name, Speck. Yeah, I know. But what would that mean in the terms of
1: um, I mean, Dick well,
0: and semen?
1: Let's say you're ejaculating and you make a spot, a speck oh, okay. of semen.
0: Yeah, I guess my mind is too pure for you, Mike. Yeah, yeah. So um, he was working on ships in the Great Lakes, but he was kicked off after starting a fight on the, with a ship's officer, shocker, shocker, after only a couple months later in June.
1: Yeah, you know what? He probably didn't do anything to that guy because that guy probably beat the shit out of him. Of course.
0: So, by this time, Richard was out of control. His anger and frustration is boiling over. On July 12th, only a day before the story begins, where where our story begins, he headed to East Chicago, Indiana, where he thought he had a job on a ship. When he arrived, he learned that the job had been given to someone with more seniority, and then his anger further grew from there. So he returned back to Chicago and was dropped off near the National Maritime Union Hall on East 100th Street so that he could look into another job. The Union Hall was closed at the time, so Richard ended up sleeping outside that night. At this point in time, he's only a few blocks from where the students are living in their townhome. Mm. So that's how he ended up back in their location. So um, the the girls were living in a townhome on twenty three nineteen East one hundredth Street on the same street where he's basically sleeping, waiting for the union hall to open. Yeah. So um, Richard was seen near the townhouse more than once on June twelfth and thirteenth.
1: So people just you, asking people around, "Hey, did you see this guy around?" They're like, "Yeah, yeah, I so saw him walking mm-hmm. down the street." Okay.
0: So on July 13th, 1966, Richard rented a room in the shipyard inn for the week. He was planning on waiting for a job to become available. And in the meantime, he was killing time spending his day drinking in the area about a mile and a half from where the nursing students lived. During the day, he met a 53-year-old woman named Ella Mae Hooper who had been, you know, at the bar too, he basically put a knife to her and forced her to come back to his rented room. There he raped at her. At a bar.
1: At a bar? At a bar. Like, nobody's gonna be like, hey man, you probably shouldn't put a knife against a woman's throat.
0: And who knows if he's in a back corner yeah. with her and he puts it up to her and says, don't do anything stupid, come with me. I don't know what the situation
1: was. Like, it just seems a lot of situations with this guy. Something should have happened. You know, somebody should have stepped in. But maybe, you know, maybe it's the middle of the day. they probably the and they don't there. know him.
0: He's hopping around location to la- location. He's in Texas, he's back in Monmouth, Illinois, now he's in Chicago.
1: And I'm just trying to picture the bar. Like maybe it's a you know, afternoon in a bar is very slow. Maybe the bartender goes back and he's like, listen, you're coming with me right and,
0: now. And again, I don't think he was hanging out in like very upstanding places. Yeah. At one point, he was staying in a room in like Cabrini Green, which is like a really dangerous part of Chicago. Yeah. It's the projects. So I, I don't think he was hanging out in very upstanding places. So he forces this woman to go back to his place. He rapes her and steals her mail-order 22 caliber Rome pistol.
1: She had a pistol on her she had a pistol on her oh man she's probably trying to think of a way to get after it and Mm -hmm. shoot him
0: (sighs) i don't know how it all went down but it probably happened very quick so he spent the rest of his day drinking and ended up pulling the stolen handgun on a man and he had a small argument with in a bar and eventually he left that bar and headed towards the girls townhomes. jeez so around 11 p.m armed with a hunting knife and the pistol that he stole
1: 11 p.m with a hunting knife and he's drunk from the bar oh, drinking yeah. he's all day. been
0: drinking all day doesn't
1: know about this townhouse at all
0: i don't believe he knew anything about it okay maybe he did though because they did say they saw him in the area on the 12th mm. and the 13th right so is he i mean i'm guessing that he must have seen the nursing students coming in and out of there yeah easy to he, spot he figures it's it's a bunch of girls in a place this is my place to go yeah easy Exactly. So he broke into the townhouse, he headed up the stairs, and then this is where our story began. Mm-hmm. So again, he went to where the three bedrooms were located. He, in one of the articles I read, they basically said he led these girls to the back room like lambs to slaughter, because truly that's what he was doing. Yes, yeah, Just one absolutely. by one. So each stabbed or strangled to death of these
1: girls. Wait, did, so each one... He took them individually to this room.
0: I will go into more detail here. So during the time, the first girl that he encountered was Cora. She's the one that was sleeping. She was on the bottom bunk of the room that she's staying in. That was the first door he knocked on. She's the one that answered it and saw that he was standing there, saw that he had a gun. So as he's doing what he's doing... His back is turned. At only four foot ten and less than a hundred pounds, twenty-three-year-old Cora was able to slide under the bunk bed, mm. and he didn't see her.
1: So, well, four ten, a hundred pounds—that's like the size of a child. She's tiny. Yeah, tiny. Our son's five seven, so mm-hmm. and he's thirteen. So, yeah, she's tiny.
0: So for nearly five hours, Cora stayed silent under the bed while Richard worked his way through each young girl. Cora said that none of her friends screamed as they were being taken out of the room, but later she could hear their muffled cries. That's what I was
1: wondering if they could hear things from that room. I mean, he's doing unspeakable things,
0: unspeakable things. As she stayed silent and in hiding, she knew that something bad was happening, but she didn't ever imagine that her friends were actually being murdered.
1: Well, you can't blame this girl. Poor no, thing. No, she was... What is she supposed to do? Jump up and save pounds? her life. Yeah, right. I would do the same. I don't
0: think anyone expected her to do anything. Absolutely she was not. being held captive by a madman.
1: 100%. Now, if you're the parents of the other ones, do you wish maybe she did? Of course, yeah, wish maybe, but fun for yourself i mean this is a madman it's insane he's
0: armed with multiple weapons yeah so also little did cora realize that in the midst of richard's rampage her three other roommates arrived home oh no as 21 year old susan ferris and 21 or i'm sorry 20 year old marianne jordan that's the one marianne was the one that wasn't actually living there at the time she had been at one point she left and went home and I know I have it in my story um down the line, but Suzanne Ferr or Susan Ferris was um engaged to Marianne's brother. Hmm. So the two of them came back to the house. Marianne was there. Suzanne said to Marianne, Hey, why don't you come back to the townhouse? We can chat about the wedding. Sure. So Marianne really shouldn't even have been there that night. Yeah. So the two of them arrived home not knowing he was upstairs. Ugh. And then the last to arrive was um i'm sorry let me find my way here 22 year old gloria jean davy she had been dropped off by her boyfriend later that night that
1: is a lot of people in a townhouse a
0: lot of people so it's there's like bunk beds and it's it's three rooms basically yeah it is it's a townhouse that's basically acting like a dorm so Speck was so wrapped up in his murder frenzy that he lost count of the original six women that he had herded into the back bedroom.
1: Well, he's not a professional. You know, no. he's not like keeping an Excel spreadsheet and like, OK, this one. I mean, this is the first time he's beating these women, killing them. Cause right. he's a Psychopath.
0: And he's probably drunk at the same time. Yeah,
1: you're not keeping it all together here.
0: So he never realized that he left an eyewitness alive to identify who he was and who killed each of her roommates. Fantastic. Yes. So Cora remained hidden until the morning. She had no idea what She's was going on. is the only on. one alive. She is the only one Holy alive. Holy shit. So she doesn't know, is he still here? She's laying quiet. Little did she know. Scared out
1: of her wits. Scared
0: and traumatized. She probably pissed
1: herself and everything. You know, she can't move.
0: Right. She's God. like staying as still as could be. He had left the house around 3.30 a.m. She didn't know that. She stayed still until about 6 a.m. Of course. Because I, would you want to risk coming out?
1: You hear the house moving a little. You think he's still down there. Like Absolutely. anything Absolutely. There's blood everywhere probably and like dripping everywhere. And it's like- I
0: don't know what went on in the room that she was in. But at 6 a.m. the next morning, July 14th, 1966, she untied herself, pushed a window screen out and began screaming. She was
1: tied this whole time. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah,
0: She had her hands tied behind her back. She started screaming out the window. They're all dead. Help, help. My friends are all dead. I'm the only one alive. My God. She said that she screamed for about 20 minutes until someone heard her. That's the woman that was like, got up early to do her own studying. I think she was going into nursing too. Wow. So this woman is one that she's like, do I hear a child? And she looked out the window. Well,
1: she probably had a hard, high-pitched voice. You know, well, she's
0: small. she's a, a 23-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. Um so she said she didn't so this is where she kind of discovered some extent of what was going on and what that her her friends were actually all dead she never left the townhouse down the inside stairs though she actually let herself jump 10 feet down Just she in was case. so terrified that he was still in the house yeah. that she basically um lowered herself 10 feet down on the outside of the building a hey,
1: good move I exactly. mean you're the only one alive
0: <laughs> and you've escaped death you don't want to enter the clutches of this crazy person yeah so amazing. Um, when the neighbor heard her cries and came over, she stepped into the living room and the first thing she saw was Gloria Davey nude with her hands tied behind her back by a cloth, a cloth so tight around her neck and she was laying on the sofa of the living room. The neighbor went to the nearby townhouse with the house mother that lived there. I guess she was kind of in charge of the nursing students in the townhomes. She woke her. The house mother woke the other nurses that lived in that townhouse, and they all ran to see what was happening. By this time, Cora is frozen in shock outside the townhouse. No doubt
1: about it. She's been through something. Yeah, I mean, one of the worst things any human's probably ever been through.
0: Absolutely. And she's begging them, please don't go into that house. He might still be in there. Sure. So they did go in anyway. They, again, saw Gloria strangled on the couch. They headed upstairs and found Pat Matusik in the bathroom. The other six students were found dead in the bedroom, covered with blood to the point that they were basically unrecognizable to the nurse. Um, Wow. So we hacked hacked
1: them up first or whatever it was.
0: I'll I'll Uh, tell you more about that. But the really the only person she was able to recognize was Nina Schmal. She had a pillow partially covering her face. She laid on her back. Her hands were tied behind her back. Her legs spread open. A knife was at her chest and she had been strangled a tight cloth around her neck. From there, they like, we got to get out of here. They called the police. <laughs> the first responding officer, of course, he doesn't know what he's responding to. He's like this young guy. He recognizes Gloria Davy. What? It was uh, the sister of a girl he had dated for a while. Oh, so no. So he's walking in. I mean,
1: it's terrible like, to see any of this stuff, but somebody know. Oh, knows. my
0: gosh. Oh. So
1: he,
0: you know, all the responding officers come. It was so bad. I mean, One emotionally,
1: of the- he's affected him right away. You're just like, oh, I know her. Yep. Wow.
0: And one of the reporters that responded to the scene kind of early on, he had been like a reporter in war times. He this man has seen death, but never
1: he's seen some shit
0: in a way that these innocent girls that you're walking into this nursing student townhouse. You're not expecting to see what you see. He threw out multiple times out in the yard. That's how bad it was. Oh, my God. Yep. So Pamela Wilkening was in the upstairs bedroom. This is as the police start to make their way through the house. She was gagged and stabbed through the heart. Suzanne Ferris, the one that was engaged to Marianne Jordan's brother, who had came back to the house with Marianne, she was lying face down in a pool of blood with white stockings, like obviously the nursing stockings that they wore, tied around her neck. She had eighteen stab wounds to her chest and neck.
1: Oh my God!
0: And then Marianne, who had come back with her, um, they were close the one friends. That wasn't
1: supposed to be there. Run,
0: yeah, she moved out. She was on her back, stabbed three times in the chest and once in the neck and in the eye. <sighs> Police found Nina Schmal in the northwest bedroom with her nightgown pulled up, the sheets tied around her neck and superficial ritualistic looking stab wounds, wounds all around her neck.
1: Wow. And it probably I don't just cuz he means. was
0: it was like they were superficial, so he wasn't doing it to kill her. Just probably f- torture and like have fun with her. Have fun.
1: Oh I mean, my this God. is how
0: sick this man is.
1: Wow. He really went off the deep end on this one.
0: Exactly. And um then her neck also appeared to be broken. Under a blue cover, they found Valentina Pazian face down, her throat cut, her voice box appeared severed. Laying over Valentina's body, they said basically thrown like a rag doll, was Merlita Gargula. She was found face up and stabbed and strangled. When the officer walked through the door to his right, he could see the legs of Pat Matusa coming out out of the bathroom. She was on her back with her hands tied behind her, strangled with a piece of bedsheet. Her nightgown was pulled up and her underwear had been pulled down. It appeared that she was kicked in the stomach and there were bloody towels just strewn around the floor around her. When the director of nursing was brought into the townhouse, again, she was only able to identify three of the eight murdered students. Wow. That's how bad. And she knew all of them. She knew them. She was oh in charge of them. So Cora provided the police with a description of the blank faced intruder that slaughtered her roommates and her friends. Thank God. Thank God she was alive because this mother effer could have gotten away. And
1: God done it again. I mean, there was a matter of time. And to you he know caught. he would have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. Right.
0: So, she described him as six feet tall with blonde hair and weighing about 160 pounds. So, he's a skinny guy. Yeah. You know, he's... I mean, I'm 6'2 and
1: 250, so... hmm 100, what, 160 160
0: pounds? at six feet tall.
1: Yeah. And so, there's nine, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine girls that died plus Cora. No,
0: it, it was... Um,
1: oh, eight Nine girls. total,
0: eight were killed. Got it. Cora yeah. survived. Thank
1: God she survived
0: so she said he had a southern drawl because of course he grew up in Texas Texas. Yeah. so for two days a massive manhunt was underway Chicago police were trying to find the killer before he could strike again because if you're going to come into an apartment or a townhouse and slaughter eight innocent girls you know that this person's a fucking madman
1: as a female in Chicago at this time you got to be scared out of your wits
0: this your mom is the one that you know suggested this in 1966 Well, she was
1: working at a hospital in Chicago at the time so I'm sure it was spreading around like yeah, wildfire
0: exactly she she was at a chicago hospital yeah so i think what would your mom have been at this time probably in her 20s yeah. right yeah, right, yeah around right around this age mm-hmm. so i'm sure everybody was so scared so chicago police were trying to find the killer again before he would strike again speck was found at cook county hospital after he after a failed suicide attempt. When he arrived at the hospital, after slashing the inside of his elbow and his right wrist, he gave the name B. Brian. The doctor who was tending to him thought he looked familiar because of course, he, I think at this point they actually knew his, they identified his name Ah. because they went to a gas station and they're talking to him, trying to get any kind of information from the person who was working there. He's like, you know, there is a guy that I came into contact with who was dropped off looking for a job on the boat. Wow. And so I think at this point they even had his actual name, if I'm not mistaken. Nice police work. Very good. And they really got the word out because this doctor who was tending to this man's wounds is looking at him cleaning off all the blood on his arm boom there's the tattoo born to raise hell uh-huh so he he knew so the doctor called was, and that
1: was being spread around that he has yes, a tattoo born to raise yes. hell. oh man can you imagine that being like uh, one i better get away from this guy so he doesn't kill me
0: and so here's what was said in one of the videos I listened to that at this point, Richard's saying, I want water. I want water. The doctor leans in and goes, did you give those nurses water? Oh,
1: wow. Yep. I can't. Wow. That's almost like in a movie.
0: Don't you get chills? Just thinking I actually did get chills. Yeah.
1: Well then his butthole puckers up and he's like, oh shit. He's
0: done. Oh. So the police are called and <laughs> and
1: the doctor's like, by the way, you're not getting water. <laughs>
0: yeah. Fuck you. You're not getting any water. You piece of shit. huh. So Chicago residents and the rest of the country, because of course this spread like wildfire throughout the whole country, they were horrified by the unfathomable massacre. There was no apparent reason for what he did. And he showed absolutely not a speck, you know, no pun intended. That's his last name of remorse. He didn't.
1: That is insane. Like you think that there's what, 320 million people in America, and this one thing happened at this one moment in time where this guy just, I mean, this could happen at any time. At any time. Anywhere. Like, nobody's
0: safe. Right. These girls, it wasn't even an unlocked place. He broke in through a window.
1: Right. Well, that's what I was thinking during the story. Like, you said, this is, you know, people are locking their doors in security. It's like the girls did that.
0: They did and, that. And he
1: broke in. I mean, anybody that wants to get in will get in.
0: So, not only was the door of the place locked, but Cora's bedroom door was locked. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're just, it's not expected when it's 11 o'clock. They've all been working all day at the hospital you do your shift you get off you do your routine you're not expecting a crazy person to come waltzing into your house and put a gun to you yeah so it was a very scary thing that happened and they basically said it was truly the first random mass murder of the 20th century. Wow, really? And who said this was William Martin, who was the assistant Cook County district attorney who prosecuted Speck. He said it was really the end of an age of innocence. It changed everything. We all became much more conscious of our security. Eight nurses could be slaughtered in their beds for no reason by a stranger.
1: That's insane. So that's, that's the whole... That's everything. No. Okay. Good. I was like, you kind of can't. I was like, there's more. I gotta know what happened to this guy.
0: (laughs) So John Schmall, who is a retired physician and was Nina's brother. Nina was one of the nurses that was murdered. Um, He also speaks about the lost innocence. He remembers that night. This was not a gang related. Crime like most of the violent crimes in Chicago today. These were girls within six weeks of graduating, members of a respected profession. They were basically kids, girls doing girly things. This was innocence.
1: You know what's sad? Nowadays, this is like standard news.
0: I know. You know, but not, back then, not this
1: many. Yeah, you know. and
0: and in such as like foreboding way that in the night this man slinks in you know it's like a horror movie and we're still
1: fresh off of the uval texas you know massacre of of those children so this is like fresh still and we're like oh another mass murder now it happens every three days a mass murder
0: you know in this day and age it was not the case no
1: which just it, how crazy is it that in the 60s you didn't have mass murders? I no. mean, I'm maybe, you know, I always say, well, they just didn't have the news coverage that they do now. You know, now there's a 24-hour news cycle.
0: But this made national yeah. news. So I you mean, think if it
1: happened elsewhere, it definitely would. Yeah. So there's something changed.
0: It was. They said it was almost like a turning point. Mm-hmm. So during his trial, not a single tear was sh- shed by speck. Martin said he was totally without contrition. He was totally without remorse. Martin published a book in 1993 with Dennis Brio about the massacre. It was called "The Crime of the Century." Of spec, he said. Crime of the
1: century. That's kind of a shitty way to put it. Well, I, don't I mean, know. I didn't name it. Yeah, no, it's not your fault.
0: Um, of spec, he said he had no redeeming characteristic whatsoever. His icy demeanor helped fuel the national fascination with the case. Knowing what he did and the fact that he was so non-reactive and expressionless made him that much creepier. Looking at this guy, you're you're thinking about the things he did, and he's just got like no expression whatsoever. Just like he was basically the walking boogeyman.
1: I mean, I got to look him up. Yeah, he kind of
0: looked almost like James Dean in some of his pictures. Really? but of well, course he was probably
1: trying to go for that look
0: yeah it was back in the 60s and um, you put on
1: uh like a leather jacket and yeah and he did in one, of, face.
0: in one of his um mug shots he had a black leather jacket his yeah i mean in that picture you're showing me he, it's not a, a good picture i mean he's not a good looking guy he's he definitely has like very very big acne scars yeah um but he in one of the pictures he does look like james dean to me hmm. but he's a, just a monster yeah so, um, you know, he's he's the living, breathing boogeyman at this time, truly. Yeah. So Martin commended Cora on her bravery during the trial when she had to walk in and point Speck out in the courtroom. I
1: can't believe what she was going this through. This
0: girl is a friggin' badass. Yeah. So she walked from the witness box to where Speck sat. Her finger pointed directly at him and declared, this is the man. Because this girl had been through hell. She lived through her friends being massacred.
1: One by one. One by one. Yeah, she's listening in to a, the whimpers and screams. In a
0: living and breathing nightmare. And she had to face this man. And like, now
1: she knows exactly what they went through while she was yes. listening. So she's associating the sounds with what happened to them.
0: I mean, can you imagine how traumatized she was? Oh,
1: you can't even know it. Unless you've gone through it,
0: so Martin also said that Cora was so precise when recounting the horrors that happened at thir- or I'm sorry, twenty three nineteen East One Hundredth Street. This was key in convicting convicting Speck, but he also did. He was not careful. His fingerprints were all over the townhouse. Well, he was
1: drunk, and it was yeah. a random occurrence. It's exactly. He like planned it, it out.
0: He didn't plan this. I mean, he just stumbled on over to the townhouse again. I do believe he he knew that there were girls in that house. So, in 2016, it was the 50-year anniversary of the murder. Cora, at the time, was 73 years old. She was living in Washington, D.C. area and still working as an ICU nurse.
1: Oh, my God. What an yeah, awesome Yeah, she's person. amazing.
0: So, I guess she was always described as just such a very happy person. She enjoyed life and laughed a lot. She still has nightmares about spec she personifies the triumph of good over evil. So they did um, interview her during this time at the 50-year anniversary. She had been married for 23 years. She had a son and a daughter and several grandchildren. She said that the night that he terrorized her and her roommates, Speck took away a big part of her happiness.
1: No doubt about it. That's under understatement of Right, the
0: year. but she still went on to be so successful, and that's just the sad part of this, is that these girls were six weeks from graduation. Each and every one of them would have made such a great impact in this world and this piece of shit took them out. Well,
1: yeah, multiply each one by hundreds of patients that would have been taken care of. Exactly, by them. And, you know, this is like a i guess a, a positive prejudice but all i hear about filipinas and filipinos especially in the healthcare industry are caring and how hard workers mm-hmm. and their culture is
0: it's got to be something with the filipino culture that drives them to nursing because it they are very big in the nursing industry
1: my uh aunt who i spent a lot of time with when i was a kid she was a nurse in chicago and uh, after this happened probably in the 80s 70s 80s and many of her friends were filipinas and like taught her how to cook like really awesome food like Mm -hmm. those those egg rolls that have pork in them that were just delicious and she's like they're all awesome i met them all they're all super sweet yes like
0: i work with a lot of filipina nurses and and, they're amazing yeah
1: and every filipino person i've ever met in my life has been an absolute pleasure and just like what an amazing culture
0: right So, by a panel of five psychiatrists and one general surgeon who evaluated Speck, they deemed him competent to stand trial and determined that he was not insane at the time of the murders. Initially, Speck claimed that he had no recollection of the murders, but he did confess the crime to a doctor at the Cook County Hospital.
1: The one that identified him, probably.
0: I'm not sure. Yeah. But his first public confession was given to the Chicago Tribune in 1978. So hmm. he, he came out and told a story. So 10 years shit.
1: after it happened, 12 years.
0: Uh, what did I say, 78? So yeah, 12 years. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow, that's a long time.
0: So the trial began April 3rd, 1967, down in Peoria, Illinois, and on April 15th, after only 49 minutes, the jury found Speck guilty and recommended the death penalty. However, on June 28th, 1971, the Supreme Court upheld his conviction but reversed the death penalty because more than 250 potential jurors were unconstitutionally excluded from his jury because they opposed capital punishment. Ah. So they wiped away him getting killed.
1: Yeah, I can see that
0: um speck Speck was sent to stateville correctional center to serve a 400 plus year sentence he (laughs) died of a heart attack at age 49 on december 5th 1991 just one day away from his 50th birthday no one showed up to claim his useless body so he was cremated (laughs) did you put
1: that did you put that in word yeah i did good
0: so he was cremated and his ashes were scattered in an undisclosed location near joliet illinois
1: toilet would be perfect yeah, like, I don't I, know. That's
0: so funny you say that. Bye. I said I don't even know if the sewer system <laughs> flushing his ashes down the toilet would be like good enough. Well, for no, him. because
1: he'd have to, you know, we'd have to use our resources to clean the water. Right. So, like, I thought should the be same thing. Somewhere else, feed it to a bear or something.
0: We lived near Joliet, Illinois, so I'm like, ugh. Yeah. So while in prison, this is really weird. Speck regularly refused interview requests, but they uncovered a video that inmates at the Stateville Correctional Center made in 1988.
1: How do inmates make a video?
0: I don't know, but I watched it. Okay. Okay so chicago news anchor and wait till you hear what went on in this video it's like where the hell are the prison guards what
1: i'm picturing so far is a music video where they're dancing no okay so
0: (laughs) what it is that the parts that i saw because some of the parts were pornographical and you couldn't see it so it was who's the news anchor
1: did you bill curtis bill curtis yes wow he's famous yes
0: so bill curtis was given this tape by an anonymous attorney So that's where this all came out. So um, I'm not sure what year they actually found the video, but it was actually made in 1988. Okay. So in the video... Wait, 88.
1: So he was dead by then or no?
0: No, he died in 91. Okay. So he had been imprisoned at this time for like 20-something years. Yeah. So in the video, Speck is sitting in one chair. Another inmate is sitting in a chair next to him or kind of across from him. Speck is sitting in the chair with no top on. You can't tell initially what kind of bottoms he has on, but his legs are exposed. Just so in- you know,
1: men, we call them shirts.
0: Oh, okay, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. So he had no shirt on. Thank pardon you. me. Um, and I can't tell what kind of um, shorts or pants or what it- not pants because his legs are exposed. But his socks are like kind of pulled up to his calves. And he's got like white gym shoes on. And then when he stands up, he's wearing black lace panties and he has full breasts.
1: What? <laughs> yes. Holy shit. Yes. So they were like feeding him hormones no. or something?
0: So he was smuggling in female hormones in order to transform his body to look like a female so that he could be used as a person to be raped. So sex. Sex. Yeah. To not only keep himself alive in the prison system, but also to score himself what he wanted. So in this video, he's in the chair and the fellow inmate person has a thing on his lap that's loaded with cocaine. (laughs) And they're just sitting in the jail (laughs) snorting cocaine.
1: Wow. Crazy, right? It's a fun jail.
0: So here is what he said during the video. So the guy asked him... um, Let me see if I could find it. Uh, So basically, during the video, he freely admitted to the crime that he committed. He said he was high at the time, but would have done it if sober. And as he's snorting off the cocaine, he said, if they only knew how much fun I was having, they'd have turned me loose. He's just like a complete just piece of shit. Yeah. So um, the person that he's sitting with says, how'd you feel after killing those ladies? His response, like I always felt, had no feelings. If you're asking me if I felt sorry, No. Just like that.
1: Well, I wouldn't expect anything else. I mean, this is a person that's just off off the the, deep end. Yeah, the
0: deep end. And his response when he was asked why he murdered nine innocent women, I'm sorry, at this time it was actually eight, um, because Cora was part of the trauma, but she wasn't murdered. He says it just wasn't their night. That was his response. Disgusting. So, I said, disgusting and pathetic Richard Speck aside, it's so important to remember and honor these eight innocent women who lost their lives that night in 1966. So, at the 50-year anniversary in 2016, Nina Schmall's brother um, ca- contacted as many of the victim's family members as he could to uh. compose like videos and just remembrances of these each girl's. That's nice. So, Nina was 19 when she decided that she wanted to be a nurse. She was a good student, well-liked, and was quiet but had a great sense of humor she loved elvis cats and the color pink her brother and his wife established the nina joe schmall scholarship fund at wheaton college to honor her name they hated the fact that anytime her name would be googled richard speck's name would pop up yeah so they wanted exactly fuck him for sure they wanted something that was her own that honored both nina and all the girls that were involved in this so that's why they started that scholarship patricia ann matusik when Pat was only 14, she helped care for her 15-year-old cousin who was dying. This experience of caring for her for him drove her to want to be a nurse. Pat was often found laughing hysterically with her friends. Like all the stories I read was like laughing here, laughing there, just like love to have fun. So, um her house was interesting. It was on Michigan Avenue in the, you know, not like downtown Chicago, but there was her parents' place who was above a tavern and well, Michigan then,
1: Avenue was like all downtown. Unless it was south-south. It was south-south. Okay.
0: So uh then in between her like best friends was like a lower roofed funeral home. So they used the roof of the fu- funeral home to walk back and forth to each other's bedroom windows. They That's had fun. like the best situation there. Oh, yeah. So she loved sledding. She loved to help her dad earn money for the Kiwanis Club by selling peanuts. She was sweet, assertive, funny, and full of life.
1: That was such a thing in Chicago. I don't know if that was everywhere, but the Kiwanis, like, Mm -hmm. peanuts. I always asked my dad to buy peanuts, and I was so excited. I think they were, like, honey-roasted peanuts or something. And I was just like, yeah, Kiwanis peanuts, all right. So
0: that's what she did. She helped sell them. So the girl that she used to walk across the roof for was her friend, Arlene. So on the night of the attack... Pat um, had been dropped off at the townhouse by Arlene. She asked Arlene, do you want to come in and have coffee? Arlene said, I'm too hot. I'm too tired. I'm just going to head home. Whether or not Speck was there at the time, I'm not entirely sure, or if he came later.
1: But if you go in, you would have stayed for sure. a while.
0: So the next morning on the news, they heard that new s- nursing students had been attacked. They immediately got in their cars, drove over there, and saw that the townhouse was covered with tape and just were devastated. My hearts
1: uh, melted.
0: Pamela Lee Wilkening. Pam was quiet. She was the quiet one of the townhouse. She was studious. She was decisive. During her rotation at a psychiatric facility, she was punched in the face, which caused her to hit her head on a wall and get a concussion. But it stood
1: with it. She just,
0: she was a badass, and she picked herself up. She got right back to work.
1: Wanted to help people enough that she's that was still the right career yep. for her.
0: Some you know psychiatric patient wasn't going to deter her. Wow! So she loved her brother Jack, and she adored watching him race cars. Marianne Jordan was the one that was no longer living in the house, but she came back. Right. So Marianne grew up hearing stories of her Irish grandmother Grace, who was a high-ranking nurse at the University of Michigan. This inspired her to also be a nurse. She loved to swim, play softball, and ice skate. She was described as having a wicked sense of Irish humor. (laughs) She always helped care for her younger brother, Billy, who had Down syndrome, and their strong connection inspired her to want to specialize in pediatric nursing. Mm -hmm. Again, at the time of her murder, Marianne was no longer living at the townhouse. She decided to go and spend the night with Suzanne, who was engaged to her brother. They were going to chat about the wedding.
1: So double things, her aunt being involved and also helping with her brother mm-hmm. definitely pushed her towards nursing
0: so the two arrived at the house at 12 15 a.m. and headed towards Suzanne's bedroom they were met by Richard Specht in the last uh, it says they were the last two to arrive I wasn't sure if it was them or um Suzanne I'm sorry um Gloria Jean Davy. I'm not sure which arrived la- later but regardless they walked into the hands of a monster unknowingly
1: some of the last two yeah arrived.
0: exactly so then Suzanne Ferris who arrived with her She had the nickname Cookie by her dad. I guess they had a a cookie jar in their kitchen, and it wasn't spelled cookie. It was C-O-O-K-Y. So that's how she got the nickname. They still have the cookie jar. I guess it was passed down through the family.
1: That's sweet.
0: She was described as pretty, perky, and popular. She loved clothes. She would make her own since she didn't come from a lot of money. She made somebody who equally didn't have a lot of money their own prom dress to wear to the prom. Just a a great person. She was very close with her family. She was engaged to Phil Marianne Jordan's sister sister
1: yep and soon probably not allowed to be a nurse because i'm sure she would have gotten pregnant soon and who probably- knows but
0: she was only six weeks from graduating once you graduated you could do what you wanted oh okay yeah and that's another thing we're you know we're talking about them arriving at twelve fifteen. curfew was almost always ten thirty p.m oh. but on i think like one or two nights of the week it was twelve thirty. okay
1: so it was a very strict program because they were single ladies and go out and have a good time mm-hmm.
0: i mean it's kind of crazy because when you're away at college you could do whatever the <laughs> hell you want
1: yeah not in the 60s apparently
0: so, Valentina Passion, she had traveled um, from Chicago to, for, or to Chicago from the Philippines in May of that year. Her family called her Tina. She planned to work hard and earn money to send back to her family. When Tina and the other two exchange students arrived, the American women threw them a welcome party. They showed them around the city. She often wrote home to her family and she loved to cook.
1: Oh it's like such a selfless thing like again part of the culture yep. you're gonna work hard and send it back to our family where the dollar is worth tons
0: exactly and actually that's kind of the all the girls that came over from the philippines were exactly that way so marlita gargula she grew up on an island of maduro where bananas rice and coconuts grow wow. she helped raise her eight younger siblings she was described as quiet shy hard-working efficient pretty and blessed with a rich singing voice well, she had
1: to be quiet to help raise eight other kids right
0: you didn't have <laughs> (laughs) much to say in that house right so she traveled to chicago on the same plane as cora who had met she had met about a month earlier okay so it seemed like the the filipina girls were really tight and they were starting to get to know the american girls because they had
1: only just come over well you're all coming from a you know a a country and a culture and a language and you know you're all together
0: exactly i'm sure they all
1: learned the opportunity together and had the goals similarly
0: So much of the $350 a month that she earned, she would send back to help her family, and she would write them letters all the time. Mm -hmm. Gloria Jean Davey was born at the hospital where she eventually studied nursing. She was independent, intelligent, headstrong, poised, creative, and snippy when she didn't like what you were doing. (laughs) This is what her sister said. She started college at our alma mater, NIU, Northern Northern Illinois. Illinois and planned to study English until she ended up switching to nursing.
1: I mean, not a huge surprise. Northern Illinois is kind of a big college in Illinois. Yep. That's awesome. Well, I mean, interesting connection.
0: Her grandmother's house was so close to the townhouse that when her sister was visiting her grandmother, her sister was 11 at the time, she would have her come over to the townhouse and pay her a dollar or two to clean up after (laughs) her and her roommates.
1: That's cute.
0: So and her sister said she loved it. She felt so cool amongst like these 20 year old girls. Yeah, I'm sure. And then I love the snippy
1: part. (laughs) I
0: love that part, too. Um, on the day of graduation, again, it was only six weeks after they were murdered. Her sister accepted her diploma at her graduation. Mm-hmm. It was really sad picture to see. So she had been dropped off at the townhouse by her boyfriend shortly after 11. Richard was already upstairs.
1: Oh, God.
0: Cora was the survivor Cora came from a small village in the Philippines she arrived on May 1st 1966 to Chicago like her fellow Filipina nurses she worked hard she sent money home to her family on the evening of July 13th she started it started just like any other she ate an early dinner with Merlita and Tina she took a nap she did some laundry she wrote letters to her family she was feeling homesick at the time. At ten thirty, she climbed to the top bunk of the room that she shared with Marlita. An hour later, she was woken by four knocks on the bedroom door. Again, she later testified that the knocking was done in a very normal manner. Yeah. One of the students, um, also was part of this video. Her name was Tammy Suchoff. She lived in one of the like adjoining townhouses. Like they were nestled amongst each other three of them she worked the 3 p.m to 11 p.m shift when she got off that night she wanted to make a sandwich she had the lunch meat she didn't have any bread she went to the back door of the girl's townhome rang the doorbell little did she know at the time her friends were under attack so speck heard the doorbell he ordered cora and another girl downstairs with a gun to their back They were guided to the front door, and when the door opened, no one was there. Speck took the girls back upstairs. Wow. Um, Tammy is convinced that Cora knew the difference between the two doorbell sounds, Uh front and back, and purposely went to the wrong door in order to not taken another hostage. Oh
1: my God. What a smart move. So
0: Tammy completely gives Cora credit for her being alive today. Wow. She said that no doubt she knew the difference in the sound and he, and she saved her life because he would have nabbed her too and brought her upstairs. Oh my
1: God. And what a hero,
0: a complete hero. So, you know, not only was she able to help identify this man, she saved Tammy's life too.
1: And then went on for a whole lifetime of nursing, And period of the family. Yeah, she's
0: amazing. Tammy said that the grief will always be tangled with the useful happiness because she's looking back at all the pictures they took during their time in the the program. A great time. She said the grief is just mixed up in as she's laughing and smiling with the picture she's crying at the same time because their innocence was taken away they she said that they would once they did return back to the school after all the dust settled they had their beds lined in the dormitory because they didn't stay at the townhouses any longer just bed to bed to bed just sleeping in terror that somebody was going to come and do something to them of course it's fresh yeah so that's the story
1: my god that was it was it makes it even sadder like going through each of their stories
0: i just wanted to make sure to take the time to talk about each victim because again when you google any of their names the first thing that pops up is this piece of shit and i didn't even title my podcast with his name yeah we're not gonna do that i just i don't like that
1: somebody pointed out on the reviews like don't use the person's name like when we first started
0: yeah and and i appreciate that yeah they
1: never need any kind of notoriety and of course
0: we have to talk about them because they're the reason why we're saying this horrible story
1: yeah but google wise yeah i get that and if everybody could just stay away from using the murderer's names it's like you know when somebody shoots up that school. Like, I don't want to know the name of the person that did it.
0: Right. And I, that's why Nina's brother made sure that he put her name in a scholarship so that she had her own identity because these were all amazing people Yeah, that were going to do amazing things right. and made so many people in their lives happy. Like, um, one of the I can't think off the top of my head, but the one that had the brother with Down syndrome, I guess he barely spoke or spoke because of his condition. And after she she had passed away, it was Marianne, Marianne. not
1: Marianne. I think it was the other. Oh, wait, well, yeah, I think it, it was, Marianne. was Marianne. Marianne, I yes. So.
0: so it was her brother Billy who had Down syndrome, and uh-huh. when they found out of her passing, he spoke a full sentence, and he said, "Marianne is dead." And it was like he was so traumatized that he was able to speak in a full sentence because she did so much good. And that's why Billy had inspired her to want to go into pediatrics. So I just I have no doubt that each and every one of these girls. Wait,
1: Marianne was the one that didn't live there anymore. Yeah, she didn't. So it wasn't Marianne. It
0: was Marianne. She she cared for her youngest brother, Billy, who had Down syndrome. Right. Okay. So it was just just important for me to show like what awesome people each and every one of them were
1: and whether they're awesome or not. I mean, you know, it's just more incredible that they were nurses and looking to help people and then all their lives were taken by this scumbag. Yeah what a piece of shit and like he's just trying to pretend he's happy in jail yeah yeah i I imagine you're super happy being raped with breasts exactly fucking scumbag
0: and you know he didn't even live to 50 because he was so pumped through with drugs and hormones and semen and
1: (laughs) what a piece of shit yeah hopefully that heart attack was very i hope it was super painful yeah anyway well great job covering that Until
0: Um, next time, we will be back, and thank you for being here with us. And
1: before we go, we've got to mention each and every one of our Patreons, so patrons. um, Colleen, Lily, Karen, Nadine, Allie, Susan, and newly uh, Michael and Kayla. Thank you all so much. You guys are awesome. For your patronage. Each of you are very, very handsome and beautiful today. But, Absolutely. You know, and uh, I would like to say, oh, each of you got to listen to the bonus episode that came out. So if you want to be a patron, come on over. If you are at the lowest level, you get one bonus episode a month. And if you're at the middle or highest level, then you get all the bonus episodes every two weeks come out on Wednesdays. That's so, right. Yeah. And Allison does a great job on those.
0: Well, thanks, Mike.
1: You do a great job with everything. Sweetheart. Well, I
0: appreciate you.
1: Well, hey, thank you so much for listening. Please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate that very much. And until next time, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.